I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. If you're following along in a church Bible, that can be found on page 775. It's also printed on page 8 in your bulletin. We've come to the end of the book of Jonah. Um, This is week 4, so chapter 4. Every time we come to the end of a book, well, so far, we... uh, a common dynamic that happens for Ryan and for me is we get to the end and we say, boy, we wish we could just do that again. And I thought that with Jonah. Uh, why don't I take one and two? You take three and four. We'll just do it again uh, and, and go through it. But that's part of the beauty of, of God's word uh, is that we can go it over it, go over it over and over again and just continue to find the riches of his mercy. Uh, hopefully no one has read ahead to know how this ends, so we can all be shocked together as we come to the end of this book. Um, no spoilers um, with it. But in all seriousness, no matter how many times I read the book of Jonah, I am always shocked when I come to the end of it. It just ends in a way that I think is so so strange to us in many ways. It, it stops us in our tracks. It doesn't end all neat and tidy as we, for some reason, expect Bible stories to end. And so as we look at it together, we'll see how the ending in particular invites us to consider God's mercy and his justice as we've been considering these things for the last three weeks. So let me read our passage, Jonah 4. We'll, we'll start at the end of chapter 3 so it can just remind us of what we heard last week or what's been happening in the story. Uh, if you haven't been with us, just a reminder, Jonah was called to go and take a message to Nineveh, and he disobeyed, went the other way, was thrown into the sea, God appoints a fish to save him, and then he's recommissioned. He goes and he does his job but we're wondering if his heart has really changed. And so today we find that answer. So now after I've said that, let's uh, look at our passage, Jonah 3.10 into chapter 4. This is God's word. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant. 
for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So far, the reading of God's word and the end of the book of Jonah. Let's pray and ask his help as we consider its message today. Our Father in heaven, we come to this story, to this account in your word, to the things that you are doing in Jonah's heart, and we ask for your help, that you would help us to better understand you and your ways, that we would come to better understand your mercy and your justice, and that just as you sought to do work in Jonah's heart, that you would do work in our hearts this morning as well. Help us to see, to know, to believe these things and to be changed by them this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we will look at this passage in three points. Uh, We'll start with the story of God's merciful justice. So we'll consider what was happening in the passage. And then the following two points will be more of application. Considering, or sorry, remember God's merciful justice And then third, respond to God's merciful justice. So the story of God's merciful justice, remember God's merciful justice, and respond to God's merciful justice. So we begin with the story that we find here in chapter 4. And chapter 4 begins with Jonah's response to God's mercy. And if we think about this, this is one of the biggest revivals in Scripture, There may be more, I couldn't think of any this week that were bigger than this. But after that amazing revival, Jonah is furious. And the language there literally says that God's mercy was a great evil to Jonah. And that he was extremely hot about it, as heat often conveys anger in Hebrew. And when we finally then get to hear what's going on in Jonah's heart, In verse 2, he prays to the Lord, and we find out that his anger here goes all the way back to God's initial call, which we read a few chapters ago. And his problem, we see, is with God's character. He quotes God's words about himself that God says to Moses way back in Exodus 34. We went through Exodus together, and so you may remember the context of this. These words are coming from the golden calf incident that took place way back in Exodus. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But Jonah's complaint is, he says, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, you have compassion on others and you're really patient with them and you abound in grace and love and I am angry about it. And then he adds in a phrase that's not in the Exodus account, but it's, it's certainly true. It says that he relents from disaster. And the scriptures say that God did this over and over again. He did this with his people at Sinai. He just did this with the people of Nineveh. And Jonah's saying, I knew that you would do this, that you would turn in mercy to these people. And then in verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah would rather die than see the Ninevites spared. 
That's pretty intense. But I think it's helpful for us to also realize that there's probably more going on here than just an expression of how much Jonah hates God's response right now. If we think about the context of where these words that Jonah is saying came from, Exodus 32 to 34, the golden calf situation. What happened there back at the golden calf incident? The people sinned. They worshipped the golden calf while Moses was away receiving God's word of a covenant on Sinai. And because of their sin, the people were going to be destroyed. But do you remember that, that long incident where Moses mediates for the people? And what does he say to the Lord? He says, take my life and spare them. That's what Moses cries out and does. But here... Jonah, he also puts his life on the line, doesn't he? But he does it out of such a different heart. He says, therefore, if this is what you're going to do, if you're going to relent and show mercy to those people, then take my life. And what he's essentially doing is trying to force God into a choice. It's my life or it's theirs. It's mercy for them or I can't bear to go on living. And so in response to this, (laughs) what do you think the Lord would do? (laughs) Can you imagine if one of our children said that to us or we, a prophet of God speaks that to the Lord? It's them or me. The Lord asked Jonah a question. And we will actually look at that question in a moment. Um, And Jonah doesn't answer that question. But notice what he does do. He goes to the east of the city. Going east in scripture speaks of departing from God's presence, being cast out of the garden to the east, east of Eden. And he makes a booth to get some shade. That's a loaded term. That term for booths is what the Israelites would build during the Feast of Booths, and that was to commemorate something. It was to commemorate their time in the wilderness, in the wilderness and not yet in the promised land. And so Jonah's external actions here are mirroring what's going on in his heart. He's moved eastward. He's now out in a booth in the wilderness, essentially. All signs of his distance from the Lord because of his objection. And he sat there till he should see what would become of the city. What would the Lord do? Who is he going to choose? Jonah or Nineveh? And now we come to the Lord's response in Jonah, or to Jonah. The, the Lord's response in the face of such an objection was so measured and it was so kind. It says in verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? It, it's hard to capture really what's going on with this question, but I, I think one of the most helpful ways to translate it is, Jonah, is your anger that intense? Jonah, do you feel what's going on inside of you? Are, are you really that angry about this? It's an invitation to look at his anger and to then invite him to look at his heart and his soul, to say, what is going on there that this is coming out? We learn so much about God's response to people like you and me in this book, don't we? God can handle our complaints. 
God can handle us expressing, expressing our emotions. Jonah wants to die. And God moves toward him with questions and care. And one of the things that I wonder about this book, there, I think it raises so many questions that we just mull over in our minds, but one of them that I have is this. What would have happened if way back in chapter 1, instead of Jonah just silently hearing God's command and then, boom, going the other way, <laughs> or then in chapter 3 when he's recommissioned and he silently goes and complies while all this is going on inside of our heart, his heart, what would have happened if back in chapter 1, He would have heard God's word and he would have said, I have a problem with this, Lord, and I need your help. How much differently would the story have gone? And so I I think, and this is just really kind of a side note, I'd love to talk about it forever, but when we're tempted to just keep it in because we think God can't handle it or Christians don't say that, Jonah reminds us, bring your complaint to God for help. He can handle it, and he can move toward you in care and compassion. So Jonah is sitting there under this shade, and the Lord creates an object lesson for Jonah. And it's just fascinating. Just as in chapter 1, the Lord used creation to serve his purposes in Jonah's life. He appointed, back in chapter 1, a wind over the sea, right, to stir it up. And then he appointed a fish to go swallow up and save Jonah from death. Here, the same word, he appoints a plant, some type of leafy vine or plant that will give Jonah shade. Why does Jonah need shade? Because as he's sitting there watching to see if Nineveh will be destroyed, his booth is withering away as the sun beats down on it. Jonah doesn't even have enough resources in himself for his temper tantrum, and the Lord provides care for him through this plant. And notice what it says, the Lord appointed the plant to save Jonah from his discomfort. The word there for discomfort is evil. And that word evil in the Old Testament has a whole spectrum of meaning. And all throughout this book, the author has been playing with that word for us to see what's going on. The Ninevites did evil. They were violent and had disregard for human welfare. And then they repented of that evil. The Lord relented of the evil he had threatened to them, not that he would do evil, but bringing a disaster upon them. And the Lord's relenting over Nineveh was evil to Jonah. And so the Lord appoints a plant to save Jonah from his evil, the evil that's in his heart about the people of Nineveh. And we see Jonah's response to the plant in verse 6, Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And that language is paralleling the highs and the lows of Jonah's emotional experience during this time. Nineveh, God's mercy to Nineveh displeased Jonah with great displeasure. And then this plant springs up and it causes him to rejoice with great joy. Jonah's up and down as this is happening. And then the Lord moves in this object lesson from sheer mercy upon Jonah to a little bit of justice for Jonah. The Lord appoints a worm, and it attacks a plant. And he appoints a scorching east wind, 
a Santa Ana to blow upon Jonah. And the picture here is Jonah is now starting to experience some of the heat that's going on within his heart. The Lord's making him feel externally what's going on toward Nineveh. And how is that for Jonah? Jonah can't bear it. Whereas before he wanted the Lord to kill him instead of witnessing his mercy to Nineveh, here he can't bear life for a moment without God's mercy in his life. He's saying, it's better for me to die than to live without God's merciful shade from this plant. And there's another subtle difference that I think is good to realize here. Jonah's not talking to God here when he says this. It literally says he asked his soul or he asked himself that he might die. He's done praying again. He's talking to himself and he's not bringing his complaint to the Lord. But the Lord graciously again breaks in and talks to Jonah. And he asks him that same question. Is your anger that intense about the plant? Jonah, look at your anger What is it telling you? And instead of looking inward and addressing it, Jonah just defends it. Yes, I am angry enough to die. I think the Lord could say, I already know that, Jonah. That's why I'm asking you a different question. And the Lord really is saying this. Let's think about this, Jonah. And he sets up a parallel. As for you, you pity this plant. You didn't plant it. You didn't work over it. You didn't make it grow. Jonah, what was that plant? It was a gift from me. And yet you care so deeply about it. Shouldn't I care more about 120,000 people than you care about this plant? And think about these people, Jonah. They don't know their right hand from their left. Knowing right and left throughout the Old Testament speaks of walking according to God's word. Israel was told, don't go to the right or to the left. Follow Torah, follow my word. What the Lord is saying here is, Jonah, think about these people. They don't even have Torah. They have your five-word sermon, and they're turning in repentance. How much more does that make it right for God to show mercy as they respond and repent. And Jonah, it's not even just the people. Remember, creation is affected by people's sin and by my judgment. He says at the end there, and also much cattle. This can sound strange to us, right? We think back of the cows wearing sackcloth in chapter 3. And, and, but part of what's that showing, what that is showing, and it's showing us here, is how holistically God is considering the situation of the Ninevites and how much his judgment and mercy and their sin and his forgiveness affect all of creation. And I think part of what he's doing here is just fascinating. Jonah, you're all upset about a plant. It's obvious you don't care about the people over there, but there are cows, (laughs) You care about them? (laughs) And so it's just raising all of this in Jonah's face. Jonah, can't you care something for what you see over there that you're watching from the east? And then the book ends. 
And we don't know if Jonah comes around or not. But the way it ends makes us think, doesn't it? I love how it stops there because what does it do? It makes us turn our page and say, is that really the end? But it also makes us say, what should Jonah have done? How should he have responded? And then if we think even further, why does God have this in the Bible? What response is he seeking to elicit from us? And so it invites us to consider our response then to God's mercy as well. Before we go on to point two and consider applications, I think we need to just pause for a moment and really consider the heart of Jonah's struggle. We can read this from where we sit and we can say, wow, Jonah really goes off the rails. I mean, he is such a jerk. I I can't believe he hates people that much, right? It seems like he's really overreacting. But if we stop and remember the context of what is going on, it helps us understand what's going on in his heart a little bit more. He was to bring a message to where? To Nineveh, which is within what kingdom? Assyria. And Jonah knows that what has been prophesied even at this point is that Assyria would be the nation to punish Israel if Israel didn't repent. So that gets a little bit dicey, doesn't it? God, if you are merciful to those people, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my people? Imagine Jonah coming back to Israel. (laughs) No high fives for this prophet. Jonah, we we heard about how that went. Um, Thanks a lot. Because you know what, Jonah? Now my children... Now my grandchildren are going to have to deal with Assyria. Haven't we dealt with their wickedness long enough? Isn't it hard enough to just be an Israelite and follow God without these wicked people still on the planet? Thanks a lot, Jonah. This is what Jonah is wrestling with in his heart. God's mercy toward us is one thing, but God having mercy on others that can make our lives really difficult, can't it? We face that tension as well, don't we? God's mercy upon other people, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. If God is merciful to your unbelieving coworker, to your family member, to your neighbor, it's going to affect your life. You may hear words you didn't want to hear. You may see things you didn't want to see. You may be brought into situations that you'd rather have nothing to do with. God showing mercy to non-Christians in our country means that they may be voting in ways that we wish they would not. Ways that make things harder for us as Christians. Ways that that promote injustice that hurts and affects all of us, doesn't it? And sometimes we respond to this like Jonah. We get so mad at what those people are doing to our world. I'd rather die than go on living in a world like this. Other times we might be less angry. We may realize that yelling at the TV or the news on our phone or the signs we see on the road isn't healthy. And so we just instead withdraw to our booth, don't we? We'll just sit and watch 
We'll see what God does. If he wants to work, that's his thing. But there's no way we're going to go mercifully engage with those people who are making our lives so hard. Jonah reminds us that God's scandalous mercy toward others is going to affect us. And so what are we going to do? What is God's message to Jonah? What is God's message to us? So that brings us to point number two. Well, we're to remember God's merciful justice. As we face the injustices of this world, we have to hold on to all of God's character. And we especially have to hold on to two things here. First, we have to remember that God is just. We have to remember that God is just. Jonah leaves off part of God's description of himself in Exodus 34, 6. I think there's a good warning here. We can easily chop parts of verses. And often when we do that, we're going to become imbalanced and miss things. But in Exodus 34, 6, he says, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He, he speaks of the mercy of God, right? And he throws it in God's face. But what does verse 7 of Exodus 34 say? Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This verse isn't saying that God punishes children for their father's sins. The Bible says that's exactly not what's supposed to be happening. But this verse is saying that God's very character says that he never gives up dealing with sin. Generation after generation after generation, if that's what it takes. Jonah is worried that God's mercy toward Nineveh is going to somehow eclipse or take away God's justice that somehow God just sweeps things under the rug. But that's not the case. It's not in God's character to do so. He himself is just, and he by no means clears the guilty. Later on, what we'll find, if you just flip uh, two books over, I think it is, when Nineveh returns to their sinful ways, God responds with the book of Nahum. And if you ever want to read a book about God's perfect justice, You read the measure-for-measure punishment that will come upon Nineveh when they turn from him. God is just. We have to cling to that. But his justice may not be according to our timing, is it? And our experience of justice in this world is often imperfect, this side of glory. And our experience of justice is often hard to understand. But what the Bible tells us is that when all is said and done, God's character guarantees that we will one day be able to look at it all and say, everything that God did was just. It was all right and it was all fitting. It's hard to even comprehend that, this side of glory. But that is what God is doing. He is big enough and wise enough to be able to do this. And so unlike Jonah, we cling to and we find comfort in God's justice as we face the injustices of this life. We cry out, how long, O Lord, as we wait for that time when the just judge will one day make all things right. 
But it's not only God's justice that we remember, is it? We also remember, secondly, that God shows mercy to the unjust. God shows mercy to the unjust. I know I've been talking a lot about words in this sermon, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, There's a fascinating play on words back in chapter 3 that we didn't talk about in Jonah's message to Nineveh. The message was simple, right? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Another way overthrown can be translated is overturned. And it's this tricky word that has two uses. We see it in scripture speaking of overturning and destruction. It's used to speak of what God does with Sodom and Gomorrah. But it can also be used to speak of just changing direction or turning from one thing to another or someone's character changing. And so it's clear what Jonah wants this to mean. Forty days in Nineveh will be overturned. He goes off and he says, I hope that's overturned in destruction. But what God wants Jonah to understand is part of the reason for his merciful delay in judgment is an opportunity for people to be overturned in a different way, to be mercifully transformed, to be saved from their sin rather than being punished by it. You see, God overturned Nineveh, didn't he? But he did so in merciful transformation rather than destruction. And isn't that what God was doing with Jonah too? Jonah deserved what? He deserved justice for his disobedience. He flat out rebelled against God's command. And what was his job description? He's a prophet. In 1 Kings 13, we find out what happens to a prophet when they disobey God. Do you know what happens? A lion ate him. (laughs) A lion was sent to punish this prophet for disobeying God's command. Jonah deserves to be eaten by a lion, but instead God sends a fish to save him from death. And Jonah deserves to be punished in the wilderness for his defiance. And yet God appoints a plant to shade his rebellious head. Why the mercy? Well, the Lord told us to save Jonah from the evil in his heart. God was showing Jonah mercy to bring about a transformation in Jonah. When we look around and we see the injustices of this life, when we see God's seeming inaction over the evil that rages all around us, part of what he wants us to remember is that he's often mercifully giving room for repentance on the part of those who are doing evil. He's given an opportunity for repentance rather than ruin, just like he did with me, just like he did with you, and just like he's doing with us even now as believers, giving us space to turn from our sin and turn toward him. Romans 2.4 says that God's kindness, his patience and its forbearance, it says in Romans 2, 
is meant to lead you to what? Repentance, to turn to be transformed. So the scriptures call us to see and remember both of these things about God. He is just and he is merciful and he shows sinners like you and me merciful justice. Aren't you glad that he does? (laughs) That's actually really good news. And you see, these aren't just facts to file away and know about God. Just, merciful. These are things about God that he wants us to respond to. He wants us to come to him in his merciful justice. And that brings us to point number three. Not only do we remember God's merciful justice, but we're called to respond to God's merciful justice. All throughout history, God is showing, has been showing merciful justice. We think of Eden, we think of Sinai, we think of Nineveh. But, when it, but it all comes together and it all becomes so clear when we come to the cross, doesn't it? The cross tells us that we are all like the Ninevites. We're all like Jonah. We deserve God's justice for our sin. Not just scorching heat or wilderness worms, but we deserve destruction. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. But God, because of his great love for us, sent his son to bear that justice for us. Jesus only deserved God's blessing and his favor, and yet what happened to him? He sent away from God's presence into the wilderness to bear our sins. And there was no booth to shade him or protect him, but only a cross. There was no plant to cover his head, only a crown of thorns. But he did that for you and for me. It was not just a scorching east wind that beat down upon him that day, but it was the full, white-hot wrath of God that he bore because of your sin, because of my sin. He willingly bore God's justice so that we could receive God's mercy in salvation. And God can be both just and the merciful justifier of all who have faith in Christ. And what that means is that instead of being ruined for our sin, we could be restored by his grace. Have you responded to God's merciful justice in your life? If you've never turned from your sins and trusted Jesus and and followed him in baptism, you may not realize this, But the reason that you are here today hearing God's word is because of God's mercy toward you. God sent a fish to rescue Jonah so that after three days in the sea he could preach to Nineveh. God raised the Lord Jesus after three days in the grave. Why? So that you could be here and hear a message of his salvation, of mercy from God to those who sin. 
And if you respond to his word like the Ninevites did, if you acknowledge that what he says about our sin is right and turn and repent and throw yourself upon the mercy of God that is shown to us only in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can know the joy, not just of a plant that springs up in the wilderness, but of a transformation within your heart where streams of living water flow where there was only wilderness death and destruction. You can know the joy of the salvation that God brings to those who draw near to him. For those of us who have received God's mercy in Jesus Christ, how are we living in response to that mercy. The book of Jonah asks us to just stop and say, is there evil in my heart like there was in Jonah's heart? In order to help Jonah with this, God called him to look at something really concrete, didn't he? Jonah, look at this plant because it shows what's going on in your heart. There's inconsistency there. Jonah, you want mercy for yourself, but you want justice for others. And so also, God calls us to look at something really concrete, doesn't he? To deal with the evil that's in our hearts. He says, look at the cross and consider your heart. Are we like the unmerciful servant in Jesus' parable that we heard in our scripture reading? Enormous debt forgiven, and yet we're choking others who have debt against us. Or are we shaped by God's merciful justice? Are we like the older brother in Jesus' parable who stands outside with such disdain that his father would show mercy to prodigals? I think that evil wells up in our hearts, doesn't it? And so what are we to do? What are we to do? The book of Jonah doesn't really tell us what to do exactly. It's more of a diagnostic. But the rest of Scripture really fills that out. And just one book later, there's a verse that I think just summarizes God's message to Jonah, God's message to Israel, God's message to us. Micah 6.8 He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what the Lord requires of you. Three things. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Can I just talk about them briefly for a moment? Do justice. This doesn't mean that we somehow dole out God's perfect justice. We leave room for the wrath of God, don't we? But we seek justice in our own lives. We seek to live righteously, We seek to not be impartial. We can seek to look out for those who are suffering the injustices of this world. We don't just sweep sin under the rug. We look for repentance and change. We know that we have to earn back trust when things go south. But as we do justice, we watch out for those who are suffering injustice. We're people who seek to care and protect, care for and protect the vulnerable. We steward our citizenship as we're able to vote for leaders and laws that are as close to justice as is possible in this fallen world. We're people who pursue justice for the good of image bearers and for the glory of God. But we're also people who love mercy, aren't we? 
Jonah wasn't very good at seeing God's mercy. He had a fish grab him out of the water. And he kind of mentions thanks to God. He promises God that he will be thankful, but we never hear him be thankful in the book. And then this plant grows up over his head and he's delighted in the plant. But you know what Jonah doesn't do? He doesn't see the plant as mercy from God in his life. He doesn't give thanks. God wants us to be people who love his mercy. People who know that his mercies are new every morning and who look for those mercies in our lives and we say, thank you because you are a merciful God. What are the plants that have sprung up overnight in your life that have brought some shade to your head in the midst of the heat of living in this fallen world? Is it a friendship, a relationship, a, a smile, a text, a provision from God, a way that he sweetly met you in the storm? These are all evidences of his mercy and people who love mercy see God's mercy to them each and every day. But it's not only loving God's mercy to us, which I think is where we start, but loving mercy also means having a love of his mercy for others. Jonah and the people of Israel, they lost sight of their mission in the world, didn't they? God's plan was never that they would be the only people to experience his mercy. The t-shirts for Israel weren't supposed to say, we've got a monopoly on mercy. (laughs) What were they instead to be? An agent of God's mercy to the nations. Isaiah prophesies and says that God's heart is that a highway will be built from Assyria to Zion, from Egypt to Zion, that the nations will stream in to the mercy and grace of the God of the nations. How is that highway built? How do people come to Zion and become a part of God's family? By the beautiful feet of those who bring them the good news. By people like you and me that God wants to use to show his merciful justice to the nations. And the amazing thing about our country is that we don't have to get on a plane and go to some far remote part of the world. That is a good and valid thing and we need that. But many of us are not called to that. But you know, the Lord has brought the nations to us. Your coworker, your neighbor, He has brought them so that we can be agents of his merciful justice so they can come to know the merciful justice of God. And so we do justice. We love his mercy toward us and to others. And then finally, we walk humbly with your God. When we talk about questions like God's timing and justice and mercy and staying back justice for opportunity to repentance, it humbles us, right? I have no idea how that should work out or could work out. That is God's business. We can be like the Ninevites and say, we'll follow him and we'll leave that up to him. (laughs) 
And so there's a humility that comes when we encounter the scandalous mercy of God, isn't there? But there's also a humility as we have received the scandalous mercy of God because it makes us realize that we are sinners like the Ninevites, like Jonah, like the sailors. We are just in need of God's mercy as everyone out there. And so that humility then brings us to God to say, we need your help. We need your Spirit's help to help us wisely navigate being agents of your merciful justice in this world because it's complicated, but we know it's right and we need your help to do it. And we ask humbly for help to navigate these complexities. We do justice. We love mercy. We walk humbly with our God. This is how we respond to God's merciful justice. The book of Jonah ends without resolution. How will Jonah respond? I look forward to one day finding out. But the book of Jonah also shows us that there can be all kinds of evil in our hearts, can't there? You could be here this morning engaging in brazen evil like the Ninevites or more subtle evil like Jonah. Silence toward God, compliance towards God's command with a heart that's cold, anger, a lack of awareness of his mercy toward you, a lack of mercy toward the nations, hardness toward those who need God's mercy the most. What is the distress What is the evil in your heart today? The point of the book of Jonah is this. Whatever that is, it's your response that God wants. Jesus died to satisfy God's justice for all of those sins. And so the message to us is, regardless of if we've been a believer for 50 years, five years, five minutes, or we're still thinking about it, The message is confess, turn, repent, and receive the mercy of a God who lavishes mercy upon people day after day. And Jesus came so we could receive that mercy for all eternity. There's mercy for Nineveh. There's mercy for the sailors. There's mercy for Jonah. There is mercy for you today if you come to the Lord Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge that there's a lot that goes on in our hearts. We may not even understand the fullness of it, but you perfectly see it and you draw near to us to deliver us from it. And so we take whatever is in our hearts and we confess that to you and we ask that you would help us turn And we ask that you would help us to feel afresh, to remember afresh, to know and believe the mercy that you have granted to us in the Lord Jesus, that you never tire of showering upon us each and every day. We give you thanks for this. Salvation truly belongs to the Lord. Amen.